All right, all right. Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston, and this is The Currency, America's favorite live podcast. I can't say America's because we have viewers and listeners all over the world. Welcome to all my friends. Glad to have you along today. This is episode number 53 of the, of the podcast. We're going to talk today a little bit about uh, the Twitter hack that happened this week. Kind of big news. Actually, I should say since it's Sunday, I should say happened last week. I guess Sunday historically has been the first day of the week, although us working slobs get used to Monday being the first day. But welcome. Glad to have you guys along. My name is Mike Gaston. If you are listening to this uh, after it viewed live, you can join the fun. Just jump in to YouTube, look for my channel, just look for Mike Gaston. Uh, we do this thing often once a week. We're going to get into more of a regular schedule. I keep threatening to make this thing a respectable, regular podcast. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but it is Sunday at 3 p.m. right now, and I'm really excited to have everybody along. Looks like we've got a handful of people joining. George, welcome from Austria. How are things going there, my friend? Uh, guys, I want to talk a little bit about this um, Twitter hack. I think it's really fascinating. Now, the thing is... I don't know if you, if, you, if you saw the news, I'll just cover it real quick, but essentially Twitter got hacked. And what happened was someone or someone, some people got in uh, and, and got control of a number of high profile accounts. I think like 130 high profile accounts. Now these are um, people like Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, and, and the like. And, and there were a few kind of oddball, like some YouTubers uh, that got hacked as well, but a lot of really high profile folks. Interestingly, uh, President Trump did not get hacked in this, in, this, uh, in this recent effort. But what happened was that whoever got in took over these accounts and then sent out messages saying, <laughs> it's kind of funny. And I remember seeing some of these messages at the time, people were retweeting them and I was thinking, what the heck is this? But like a Barack Obama saying something to the effect of, if you send me 1000 Bitcoin, I will double it. I'll send you 2000 Bitcoin back. I mean, they were just ridiculous. Elon Musk, a number of people, well-known, big personalities, uh, got, got sucked into this thing. And it was kind of funny. Like I, I remember seeing some of these tweets and thinking, what? That's just so weird. And I thought that, like, it didn't occur to me it was a hack. It was just almost like, why would he do that? Why, why would Obama do that? It just seems so strange. Now, here's the thing. I'm not a Twitter aficionado. I used to be big on Twitter, not meaning I was a big person, but I was big into Twitter many years ago, like a lot of years ago. I had a few thousand followers and I ended up nuking the account. I got so frustrated with it, I nuked the account, you know. And then I come back with a, like a dog with his tail between his legs and, and start, another, um, start another account. So now I've got a few hundred. And some of you folks follow me there, which I really appreciate. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think um, George just chimed in. He said, Trump's password uh, would have been easy. It's Kofefe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, George. I think the Kofefe tweet was like one of the best tweets. Uh, it was the beginning of his presidency, wasn't it? Was that back in 2016? Uh, President Trump has given us gold. Whether you like the guy or not, he's given us a lot of gold over the years. We, we really owe him... Uh, a debt of gratitude. Now, of course, that's not what you see out there. You see a lot of hostility, but boy, uh, Trump knows how to knows how to make it fun, I guess. But yeah, his password's Kofefe. That would be pretty funny, actually, if that were the case. But um, yeah, so you saw these like high-profile accounts tweeting out, you know, variations of this idea that if you give me, if you give me a uh, thousand Bitcoin, I'll give you two thousand back. 
And it looks like a number of people fell for it. I think over 400 people supposedly fell for this and, and sent Bitcoin uh, worth about, I want to say 120,000 was one of the numbers. I've heard somebody say almost a quarter of a million dollars worth. It depends what report you look at, but it sounds like about 120, like the hacker or hackers got about $120,000 with the Bitcoin out of people. And um, it's really fascinating. So, I, you know, I don't want to get so much into the mechanics of what happened, but I want to talk about, in, you know, for me, what, what this means. Like, why, you know, why should we care about this? What does this mean for us? And, and what's interesting, at least to me, what's interesting about this? Uh, now, the, here's the thing. I, I don't know how many of you folks are on Twitter. I, I loved Twitter back in the day. I really loved it. And um, what I found though over time was that it just got more and more noisy. Now, each of these social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, even Instagram now, they've been changing which Facebook owns. They've been changing the way that they surface information to you. You know, back in the day, you, you signed up for an account. You, you filed a bunch of your friends. They filed you back. You found some interesting voices out in the wilderness, like a voice crying out in the wilderness, like John the Baptist. You found these interesting voices. You followed these people. Sometimes they'd follow you back. In the early days, it was just kind of a really cool community. Uh, and then when you looked at your timeline, whether it was Facebook, whether it was Twitter, you would see in chronological order the conversations taking place. And, and it was fun. It was like you could actually be part of this. You could jump in. You could comment, make us a clever, snarky remark, say something witty or funny. People would comment back. People would share it. It was just a lot of fun. And yeah, like anything, you always had your element. You always had people that just, you know, were jerks or were there to just muddy up the waters or, or make people cry. I mean, they, you get trolls. Mankind has had trolls since the beginning of time. That's, that's not something new to the internet. The internet just gives people agency. It gives these trolls the ability uh, to do more with it. By the way, George says that Kofefe came out May 31st, 2017. Thank you for the research, George. That's great. Uh, May 31st, 2017, we were given the gift of Kofefe. And uh, Donald Trump's Twitter has not stopped since. But um, before they changed the algorithms, before they changed the way these platforms have work, you would just enjoy the conversations in chronological order. And, and the platform would do nothing to weed out anything. It would do nothing to try to show you content that it thought you wanted to hear or see. It just showed you everything. And it was up to you to kind of skim your timeline. And you had to get good at it. Like some of the stuff you'd skim and go, I don't care about that. Other stuff you go, oh, wait a minute, this is interesting to me. And you'd have that thing rolling in the background. Uh, I used to use TweetDeck back in the day. I don't even know if that program works. It was pretty cool at the time. You could use a bunch of a bunch of feeds going. You could do your follow list and so on. But you know, there's been a big shift. I mean, these 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 firms have been. Um, you know, first they're trying to figure out how, well, how do we monetize? We've got this huge audience. We've got this huge huge audience, millions and millions of people. How do we monetize? And following up quickly behind that monetization question is okay. Well, how do we optimize the experience? Now, when they say optimize the experience. They're not talking about creating them like optimizing in the sense that they want to create the most enjoyable experience or the best experience. See, what you and I would say is optimized is different than what they would say is optimized. Optimization for a social media platform means how long, how do we keep them on the platform as long as possible? Optimization has nothing to do with your happiness. 
nothing to do with your fulfillment, nothing to do with enriching your life, nothing to do with giving you good information, nothing to do with any type of satisfaction. Optimization is how do we keep you hooked as long as possible? It's like the drug dealer. The drug dealer is optimizing. They're like saying, okay, how do I get this person to, to stay hooked on this drug? I want them coming back. I want them coming back. I want to get every nickel out of their pocket I can. I want to own their life. I and mean, that's really what happens. And that's really what optimization means for a social media platform. It's not, you know, we got to get past this. We've got this naivete about being consumers. We've told that consumption and being a consumer is virtuous. Like this is a good thing to be a consumer and that, and that we're the most important thing. Everybody cares about us. They care about our privacy. They care about our happiness. They care about our fulfillment. They care that our lives are as great as possible because that's what we've been told all these years. Now, there are a lot of companies out there that that is what they care about. That's totally what they care about. But there, there are a number of organizations out there, uh, social media platforms, media companies, news, news, I mean, all kinds of companies. It doesn't have to be just digital tech, that they're in it for them. And, and uh, you know, this goes back to um, Peter Drucker back in the day said that the primary purpose of a for-profit business is to make profit. It's, it's to make profit. It doesn't, it's, that's its mission. It's got to make money. And uh, I would disagree with that, actually. I think that money is a fantastic aspect of what these businesses do, but I think there's more going on, especially when you're talking about private industry, and that's a whole other discussion. But we're talking about these big tech platforms. Uh, what, we're, what we're hearing is optimization. And to us, that means they're trying to optimize my experience. They're trying to make it better for me. What they're really doing is optimizing it for their shareholders. They're optimizing it for their advertisers. And they are optimizing it for their balance sheet. That's what they're doing. And anything less or anything more than that is a lie. It's just a lie. And so... What happens when they optimize is they're taking their platform and they're trying to figure out ways to keep you and I on the platform as long as possible. Now, you would argue, well, that just means that um, they're going to make it as nice as possible so that I want to stay on it. And you, you would be, you know, you would be uh, reasonable for thinking that. But the fact is, that's not necessarily what's going on with these social media platforms. Uh, by the way, if, you've just, if you're just joining the, uh, the podcast, give me a shout out in the comments. I'd like to say hi, see who's, uh, who's taking part today in the, in the uh, discussion. We're just talking a little bit about social media platforms. We're talking about the Twitter hack. And I'm talking about this concept of the platforms being optimized. Back in the day, the platforms kind of ran just chronologically. You had a bunch of people you were following. They followed you. And your stream was just a chronological serving up of the content, the discussions that were going on, and you just skim and consume as you found uh, stuff that was interesting. Now, these platforms are optimized. And what I'm saying is that this optimization isn't for us, although we mistakenly hear it as, oh, they're optimizing for me. They want to make it better for me. But you go to platforms like Twitter, you go to platforms like Facebook, and they're, they're horrible. They're, I mean, yeah, the interface is clean. You know, the buttons look nice. The sty it's all styled. I mean, yeah, the colors, the aesthetic is fine. The UX is okay. You could argue sometimes these UXs get a little bit uh, messy and, and hard to deal with, the user interface, the user experience. But, but, but ultimately, it's not about the interface itself. It's about the way content's served up. And it's a horrible experience. It's a horrible experience. 
And it's, you know, they're, they're trying to say, well, gee, we're trying to weed things out because there's so much noise on the platform. We want to make it easier for you. See, if they really cared about that, they would give you the tools to set up your own filters, to set up your own views so that you could go through and view and filter as you saw fit. But they don't do that. See, they create algorithms that serve up certain content to you. So, you know, I, I stopped using Facebook. I have it. I've said this before. I use it for my clients, for advertising and so on. But I, I stopped using Facebook because I might have a few hundred friends on Facebook, but it only shows me like 10 at the most, their content. And, you know, that's fine. I want to see those 10 people, but I want to see more than just those 10 people. And there are whole other conversations, whole other groups uh, that you just miss out on. It's just not fun anymore because it's the algorithm is controlling your experience. And I'm a human being. I'm, I have quite a bit of agency. I have quite a bit of capability. I've got enough horsepower between these two ears to figure out the conversations that I want to be a part of and the ones that I don't want to be a part of. I'm not a butterfly or a snowflake. You know, I don't have thin skin. If I don't like a discussion, I can mute somebody. I can dump them as a friend. I don't have to have them as I've done that before. You know, back at the election in 2016, there were people that were just so like one side or the other to the point where it was just like one note. It was just a one note band, like over and over and over again to the point where you couldn't have a conversation. They didn't have anything else going on in their life. You know, Trump won and half the people are just furious and everything. Like people that never talked politics their whole life just became all politics all the time. And for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm not interested. I hardly see you in real life. Uh, I hope the best for you, but I'll, 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 I'll catch you later because I'm just not interested. So fast forward to today and, and these social media platforms for me have been ruined. And I think Twitter's a big one. Twitter is a big one. Twitter's... Uh, experience isn't great. And it's not just because there's a bunch of, you know, political and journal journalistic bots on there. And there's a lot of screaming. There is a lot of that. But I think that Twitter, the way that it surfaces information every day on my Twitter, uh, and this isn't going to be a rant against Twitter. I'm just kind of queuing up here to where we're going. But I don't know about you. And I've looked at these settings. I can't figure it out. Call me a boomer. Call me whatever you want. I'm a Gen Xer. Call me whatever you want. I've looked at the settings every day on my iPhone. I get notifications from Twitter. Oh, you've got, you've got two notifications. I go in there and, um, <laughs> by the way, Pions was zero. Well, how's it going, man? He just said, uh, hey, Mike, I'll put this up on the screen. Hey, Mike, YouTube didn't recommend the live stream, yet here I am, fight the power. That's right, bro, fight the power. <laughs> Speak truth to power. We gotta stand in solidarity here on The Currency. Thanks, I'm glad you're here, buddy. I'm, I appreciate it. Um, but you know, every day on my iPhone, I look at social media and Twitter says, oh, there's notifications. I got a little red, you know, little red dot with the number two or five or whatever. I jump in real quick and none of them are notifications for me. None of them are, hey, somebody mentioned you, somebody retweeted you, I mean, that happens. But every day Twitter just randomly chooses content and then gives me an alert. And I've tried to figure out how do you turn that off? Because I don't want to see that. I only want to know when people are mentioning me and so on. When I get a direct message, when they've mentioned me, when they've at me or whatever, I want to know that. Otherwise, I don't give a rat's rear end you know, about uh, here's a so-and-so just posted a picture that you might be interested. And the funny thing is Twitter will surface users that I don't even follow. Like, you look at me, some guy who's posted a, a, a picture of, you know, the latest storm in his area. It's like, well, it has nothing to do with me. I don't want to see it. And so I just, I'm just to the point with um, Twitter makes you bitter. That's right, George. It certainly does. 
So I'm just at the point where it's like the user experience is not very good. So, so why am I bringing all this up? Uh, for me, I'm just saying, look, Twitter, I've kind of, like I have it. I check in once in a while. Some, like I said, some of you guys follow me there. From time to time, I say to myself, ah, I should do more with Twitter. It's kind of fun when you do connect with people and have some back and forth. I like that. But I don't really use it that much. And when I looked at the response, if you look at the response to this recent hack that happened uh, just a few days ago, I think it happened on the 17th. I could be wrong. Today's the 19th. Uh, maybe it happened on the 15th. I don't remember, but it happened last week. Huge outcry from the media. I mean, the media was really upset. And I've got, a, I've got a theory on that. But the media, if you look at the media stories, and not just in America, but just across the globe, uh, the media stories are really like, they were, they were hot and bothered about this. This was a big deal. The security of the world, they're saying, oh my God, you know, uh, politicians are using Twitter for, if, to give, you know, to send out information on new policies and laws. You know, what if somebody, what if somebody hacks a Twitter account of a politician and says, you know, they're launching nukes at uh, Russia and then Russia thinks it's real and they launch nukes. I mean, like they're, they're terrified. And I think one of the reasons that um, one of the reasons that the journos are really wound up about Twitter is, you know, this is where they get most of their information. Twitter really has become the land of journalists, media personalities, writers, content creators. Like Twitter is the place for political and 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 otherwise news related stuff. And I think I think the, you know what's happened is. These journalists are crapping their pants because they're like, look, if this stuff can be hacked, if, if Barack Obama's account could be hacked, how can I trust anything? And, and, and they're feeling this way because this is where they get their information. This is where journalists get their information. They're not doing research anymore. They're not doing any investigative journalism. They're on Twitter and they're following other folks that are like-minded to them and they're following their their you know kind of enemies if you will and they're just looking for content and once they find a thread they report on that thread they report on what was said a lot of journalism if you've noticed has become like a gossip column in a major city it's almost like the new york times gossip column you know that the gossip columnist goes to the latest uh high um you know high profile party and then in and, and, and serves up you know, serves up the tea on what happened in that party. So-and-so said this and such and such happened there. And now there's a squabble between these two people. A lot of journalism has become almost like a Hollywood insider program. It's just reporting on what people said. It's, it's not investigative. People are not doing the digging. And when someone does do the digging, that work gets buried because often the digging uncovers things that are uncomfortable uncomfortable for the editorial staff, uncomfortable for the ownership of the media, uh, uncomfortable for the, the media properties, allies, uncomfortable for the balance sheet. And so I, I think this idea that Twitter got hacked and that the media just kind of, you know, freaked out about the idea to them that this is this thing's vulnerable and that, oh, my gosh, how could this happen? I think betrays something that's going on a little bit deeper. Uh, let me just throw this up here. So Pions with Zero says, have you thought about Parler? Seems like it dovetail with a personality like yours. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. I'm just kidding. You know, I have checked out Parler. I checked it out. I uh, was on a client work site about a month ago. One of the folks at the client work site said, hey, have you checked out Parler? Now, my wife had told me about it uh, about a month or two ago. I never gave it a thought. I, I know it's kind of a conservative, or I, I don't know if the, the founders of Parler are conservative, but conservatives who were kind of flocking to it, like, hey, this could be a place for us. I checked it out. What I didn't like about it 
was just that it, it, it's just chock full of advertising. Like the interface is pretty painful. And I understand early software, you, you know, you expect a little bit of awkwardness, but the interface was really awkward and painful. And it's just chock full of advertising, like everything is an ad. And I just don't want to, I'm so tired of being advertised to. I, I'm willing to pay money to not see ads. I pay money so that I can listen to Spotify without ads and a higher quality. You know, on YouTube, I do watch the ads on YouTube, but again, that's solidarity with my fellow YouTubers. You know, I don't monetize, um, my channel's monetized, so I'll monetize my evergreen videos. I don't typically monetize the uh, currency podcast episode, just because I want to f- be free to talk about whatever I want. YouTube can get a little finicky if you monetize something that uh, is inappropriate. You talk about violence or alcohol or whatever, then you know that becomes an issue. But I've looked at Parler; it didn't grab me. I've, I think I've got it on my phone still. I gave it kind of a ten-minute glance and just just thought I'm not putting the effort in here. But I have heard heard about a lot of people have suggested it. Africa Club guy, Africa Club guy. Hey, how's it going, man? About those so-called notifications. Don't know about iPhone, but on Android, these there's a drop down to see less often. Hit that a few times in their inane recommendation. Stop almost completely. Now, see that's it. You're 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 right. Uh, I have a friend that critiqued me. He's like, you say absolutely too much. I was gonna say you're absolutely right. He is absolutely right. Don't don't tase me, bro. Get off me, man. I. Afro Club guy is right. So I could just turn off notifications for that app. And that would be easy enough to do on the iPhone. You can just do it and boom, it's done. I kind of want to get notifications if somebody mentions me, though, because I don't check it enough. If I were on Twitter all day long, it wouldn't matter. But if one of you guys sends a shout out, I kind of want to see that so I can go, hey, what's going on? I want that notification. I just don't want Twitter slamming me all the time with BS that the algorithm thinks I want and I absolutely don't want it dehumanizing. It just ruins, it ruins the experience. And this is the thing, you know, I was talking about this idea of optimization, optimizing, they can get you hooked on something and you're not enjoying it. Have you ever, have you ever been like addicted to a certain kind of food? You eat it so much after a while, you're just like putting it in your mouth, but you don't enjoy it. You ever get to the point in that bag of potato chips it's so salty, so much greasy fat. You're watching TV, you're stuffing your face. You get to a certain point, you're like, I'm not even enjoying this anymore, but I just keep putting them in my pie hole. You ever get to that point or am I, am I alone on this one? Is this just a mic only experience? But I think Twitter, Facebook, some of these can be the same way. You spend sometimes unknowingly hours because there are all these little manipulative uh, psychological hooks and neurological tricks that they're playing to keep us on there. It doesn't mean that you're enjoying it, but they're kind of they're kind of hacking our physiology, our psychology to keep us in like Flynn. So uh, so th- so that's part of the issue I have with that. Let me just jump in over here. Uh, Pines of Zero says, "Imagine investigative reporters being shocked by having to go places." Yeah, when's the last time? Great, great point. When's the last time a journal has gone anywhere? Now I understand they like to show up. Like if there's at least in America, you know, if there's a big weather event, there's going to be a flood or hurricane. They like to get out on location. Often they'll just BS it. You know, they'll stand in some parking lot. It's really windy, a little bit of water. And then, oh my gosh, you know, we're all going to die. And there's been some really funny bits where people in the background will go swimming by or they'll, or they'll uh, you know, the reporter's acting like they could barely walk. Oh, the wind is so, it's so dangerous out here, you know. And then a couple guys will go like canoeing by just to horse around and make them look like fools. But yeah, it's, it's rare for them to go and do anything. And, 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 and I get it, like information 
comes to us now. You used to have to go to the library. You used to have to go to City Hall. You used to have to go to different places and talk to people to start shagging down stories and information. You can sit on your laptop, and I get that. Records are available. You can watch archived video footage. But, but where's the research? And this is the thing. The way that the media reacted to the Twitter hack uh, be- be- betrays kind of their reliance on a platform like Twitter. Now, you know, it's a good point. Like, what if... You know, we do look to Twitter to get certain kinds of information. We do look to it to see, well, what is Trump saying now? What are some hints on policy? And and, and it's not just the American government. All kinds of governments are using it, et cetera. So I get it. I get there's a little bit of an issue uh, for security and so on. But at the end of the day, um, how important is Twitter really? How important is Twitter to your life? How important? I just want to say hi real quick to Zoltan. Uh, Zoltan says, I have all notifications turned off on my phone. I look at, I look at it when I look at it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I mostly have my notifications turned off as well. I do not like being interrupted. Same on my computer. I've turned off notifications, even things like email and so on. Although I did, uh, like, about 30 seconds or no, two minutes, sorry, before the live stream happened, uh, somebody misdialed and called my number on the iPhone. Now, it's a Sunday afternoon. I don't usually get phone calls on a Sunday afternoon. And if you guys are like me, my iPhone rings to my laptop for FaceTime. Like, it rings on all my devices for whatever reason, because I've got them all connected. And, um, you know, I answer the phone real quick. Oh, wrong number, no problem. It occurred to me, it's like, I better put my phone on Do Not Disturb because I don't want a call coming in in the middle, in the middle of this uh, of a live stream of the podcast. So, yeah, a little bit crazy. But Zoltan, welcome. Uh, <laughs> Pianza Zero says, what a hole. I said pie hole. What a hole. Yeah, the, the hot air just keeps coming out, doesn't it? And Pauline, just tuning in to the live stream. Welcome. Glad to have you along, Pauline. Hope everything's going well for you in the, uh, in, in the, north, the great North North America that is Canada. Uh, she says the best place is, the best is when normal people walk by in the background. I agree totally. That's just too much fun when that happens. I love seeing that happen. And she says, uh, Twitter is good at getting breaking info. I don't use it, but to see, but see it could be a good, good for that. Absolutely. I, I, there you go. Absolutely. I love saying that, I guess. Uh, I love Twitter for that reason, but I've just kind of given it up. You know, a number of years ago, there's a guy named Cal Newport, Cal Newport, and he wrote a book called uh, Deep Work, and it was transform- transformative for me. I want to say it was 2016. I had just, um, I hadn't quite yet. I was, I was in the midst of shutting down my agency. It was the summer of 2016, and uh, I had read this book, Deep Work, and his argument was that anybody that accomplishes anything great, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, but anybody that accomplishes anything great is engaging in deep work. You know, people that write books, people that come up with new theories, people that really do something valuable, uh, typically are are engaging in deep work. And deep work is where you're undistracted for great blocks of time where you can kind of go deep mentally into some topic, subject, whatever. And he talks about Freud he ta- or Jung. I think he talks about Carl Jung. Uh, maybe he talks about Freud, but I think Carl Jung, he talks about Teddy Roosevelt uh, and, and, a, and a bunch of others that accomplished some great things. And he attributes to their ability to focus. It's this ability to be uninterrupted and to go deep with something. And that takes mental stamina, mental energy. So um, 
his argument was like, get rid of all the social media, all these distractions. We live in a super distracted world. And if you want to be able to do something significant, if you want to be a person who can produce a work of value and work of merit, you've got to train yourself. This doesn't come naturally to do deep work. You've got to block out time and you have to be undistracted. Your mind needs time to work. It needs time to think. It needs time to rest. It needs time to focus. And, uh, and coming out of that, I eliminated a lot of social media. I turned off a lot of notifications so that I was able to, to focus more. Now, stuff has crept back in, I'll admit it. I, I'm not uh, living uh, to the letter of the law of Cal Newport's idea, but it, it is a great idea, and, it, and it's, I think, very timely for the world we live in. So uh, I'm with you. Let's see here. Uh, Pines with zero. Is Twitter so big in the U.S.? We don't use it for news here in, uh, in bat country. <laughs> <laughs> bad country. Uh, in the Czech Republic, you mean? Um, yeah, it's pretty big here. I, I would say a lot of people, like if you're into politics, if you're into journalism, if you're into current events, if you care about uh, any type of, you know, kind of uh, movement or breaking thing, like Twitter's the place. It's really where it happens. And that's, that's where that's where people are getting that kind of stuff. And I think that's why the journos freaked out like they did. Because, you know, if you, in fact, uh, I forget her name, but there was a, an editor, a centrist editor, someone uh, middle of the road, not a right winger and not a left winger, that was hired a few years ago by the New York Times because they said, we want to have, uh, have more voices than just left-leaning progressive voices here at the Times. I think that was kind of their nod to like, let's get some, you know, conservative is in here. Well, she's not a conservative. She's a centrist. Well, she just resigned recently and she, she published her resignation letter. Um, I wish I could remember her name offhand. I could look it up if we weren't in the middle of the stream, but in her resignation letter, she slams the New York times and says, look, this, this, this uh, great, great institution seems to be more about pleasing the Twitter crowds and, and, and is more of like an echo chamber for Twitter than it is about breaking late breaking news or setting the standard or exposing new stories or doing investigative journalism. So we've just become kind of this organ, this extension for Twitter. And we just, all we care about is keeping the Twitter hordes happy. And I thought, wow, how powerful is that coming from someone that's worked inside? Now she was treated terribly from what she says and ostracized Barry Weiss. Thank you, George. It was Barry Weiss. If you, and, and I'll spell her name. It's B-A-R-I, Barry Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. Now, I understand in Austria, you'd probably say Weiss, Barry Weiss, but here in America, it's Barry Weiss. And um, you should go check out, just read that. It'll take, you, it'll take you five minutes at the most. It's a quick read, very well written, as you would expect from an editor at the New York Times. Uh, that did a stint there, but you know, very revealing as to the culture and the attitudes at the New York Times. But she was saying, we're marching to Twitter's drum. We seem to care more about what Twitter thinks and what Twitter dictates than what we think and what, we, and what the American people want to know about. And uh, I thought that was just really powerful. So um, yeah, Pions with Zero says, I meant so big in public life. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I'm not exactly sure. I think I'm following you, but yes. Twitter's big in public life too. A lot of politicians on Twitter, a lot of institutions and organizations are on Twitter. I mean, a lot of information comes out of Twitter. Now, not everybody sits watching Twitter all the time, and but 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 Twitter seems to be the place where stories break. Twitter seems to be the place where the initial uh, conversations, the dramas take place uh, when it comes to things like politics, news, and so on. So that's that's that. 
Uh, let's see. Pauline says, I don't have any traditional media, so I look at Facebook or Flipboard. You know, I use Flipboard as well. I, I think Flipboard's a nice little app. Um, they also kind of, you know, moderate what you see to a degree. And if you just read the Flipboard, if you just add their news module versus just picking up the news entities that you want to watch, it's pretty left-leaning. But yeah, I use Flipboard as well. And, and I like it that you can set up uh, you know, boards based on content or topics that you're interested in. So that's, that's a good one there. Uh, Pines of Zero provided a lot of my work time is leading teams. How does the book propose I reconcile that with deep work? So I, I think uh, as far as, you know, your, your role as a manager, uh, managing people and leading teams, I guess what his argument is, it's really a lifestyle. It doesn't necessarily have to be during your work hours. You know, and that is, I, I think the corporate life is a life of disruption, interruption, uh, reacting to circumstances, you know, meetings, you know, your time is not always your own. But I think his argument is like, even if you do that, like he works at a university, he's a college, um, I don't know if he's a professor, but he works at a university. I think he, he does teach, but he might be like an adjunct or something. Uh, and I forget which one. It might be at Notre Dame. No. Um, George, oh, jeepers. I, I can't remember. What's in D.C.? There's a Catholic university in, in uh, Washington, D.C. I think that's where he is. I don't think that's Notre Dame because Notre Dame's in Indiana. Boy, this is terrible. Georgetown? I don't know. Golly. <laughs> okay, boomer. I'm, uh, I need my meds. I can't think of stuff today. But anyway, um, I'm sure George will tell me. George has been great with the answers today. He's been my backup. But uh, it's, it's also a lifestyle. He's very big on like, look, turn your phone off. Like if you're going for a walk, you need time to think. So let's say uh, Pines with Zero, you want to be working on a novel on the side or you're, you've got some project, a personal project. Maybe you want to write. Maybe you want to um, share ideas, create videos, whatever that thing is. His argument is, yeah, like you got to do your work, but you need time. So let's say you're driving home. Don't listen to the radio. Don't listen to podcasts, unless it's the currency. I think he explicitly says the currency is on the white list for this. But, um, you know, be alone with your thoughts a little bit. Let your mind do its work. Let it do some problem solving in the background. You know, if you sit down for an hour uh, at your desk, you know, get rid of all your distractions. Sit down with that piece of paper and a pen. Sit down with the laptop and, and do some thinking work. You know, dig in a little deeper. Don't don't multitask. Don't allow other things to interrupt you because your your mind needs time to kind of go deeper. And when you go deeper, you start to see you you start you know you're doing your both your deductive work and your inductive work, and you start to synthesize ideas, come up with solutions, come up with insights. But but that takes time, and that deep work could even be reading. I, I've found a new way of reading books that's a lot more work. It's deeper work to read, but you get so much more out of the book. And uh, again, that's deep work. But if I'm sitting there uh, tw tweeting, I'm reading, I'm also checking Twitter, and I've got Spotify playing in the background, it's so hard to get anything out of that. And I think that's his, that's his, um, that's his argument. Uh, George to the rescue. So George says he's a science professor at Georgetown University. Yeah, Cal Newport. Highly recommend it. In fact, I was so impacted by that book, so impacted by that book, that I bought like a case. I, this is not an exaggeration. I bought a case. I, I had a ton of these books. And I think in the case, I can't remember if it was like 10 or 12 or 24. I don't remember. I was giving them out. I was like, 
I was handing them, I was giving them to employees. I was giving them to clients. I was like to people, I like, Oh, you got to read deep work. I, my kids all got, I don't know if all my kids, I know my eldest son, Josh got it. I don't remember if Zach got one. I think, uh, I don't know that he was interested, but not that he rejected. I'm just trying to remember like, but I gave it to everybody that I thought would appreciate it. And I talked about it to everyone that would listen. And um, it, it was really fantastic. And George, it sounds like you read it. And George is saying it's really worth a read. It is. It's just fantastic. It's easy to read. It's not, it's not you know, you read the book and it's not like this, this I didn't know any of this. It's not fluff. I mean, it's, it's a well-researched, well-thought-out book. He provides great examples, great case studies. But it's a great argument. I mean, if you want your life to matter and, and, and you want to be more than a consumer and you want to be able to go deeper, you see, we're all capable of, of, of doing deeper work. We're all capable of, of a heavier lift than we're currently doing. And Newport's argument is the way to do that is, is to, it's discipline over time. You know, a lot of people will go to the gym and work out to be stronger, to be fitter, faster, healthier, to live longer. Uh, this is similar in the sense that, you, you know, you're, you're working out your, your mental capabilities, but you've got to do it with focus. You've got to do it with regularity. And, and over time, um, over time you're, you'll, you'll become stronger. So George says, you bought it after I mentioned it on the live stream. Do you mean you just bought it now or did I mention deep work on a previous live stream? I can't remember. But um, I think I may have mentioned it in a previous live stream. I think George has already read it. So let's see. Pauline says, I was going to pick up U.S. Weekly, but I suppose I could give Deep Work a read. Yeah, I think you'll get more out of uh, Deep Work than you will U.S. Weekly. Well, the funny thing about Twitter and all these things, you know, and I don't know about you guys, but there's this fear of missing out. And uh, so George says, no, he got it about two months ago. So I must have mentioned it on a live stream. Uh, I forget what I talk about because I, I obviously I've got like three or four things that I'm keen on. And I just talk about those over and over again. But um, you know, he talks about, and you guys have heard this, the fear of missing out. That was a big thing for me. Twitter creates this fear of missing out because there's always late breaking news, because there are all these dramas that happen on Twitter, because there's some great, you know, funny moments like Kofefe and, and, and battles between uh, famous people like Hillary telling Trump to delete his account and just all this kind of crazy stuff. You don't want to miss out. You want to be in the thick of it. You want to know when uh, something outrageous happens. You want to know when the latest news happens. You want to be in the know. You don't want to miss out on anything. And, th and that was a real problem for me with Twitter. It was this feeling of fear of missing out. And once I kind of detached myself, once I successfully detached myself, even though I, I still have an account, like I just don't care about it anymore. Now, that's not to say I don't like to interact with people. I, like if you guys would follow me on Twitter and we start having conversations there, I'm all about it. Like I love interacting with people. One of the reasons I love doing live streams is because we get to interact a little bit. It's just fun for me. I love that connection. But you know, this idea that I'm going to miss out on a news story, I don't really care. And I've been finding great things to read. It's not like I'm missing out on good reference. I used to get good stuff from Twitter. There's no question, but I've, I've gotten savvy, you know, as far as how to find content. Well, so that kind of brings me up to why, or that kind of brings me to why I wanted to bring all this up in the first place. Um, yeah, by the way, Pi in Zero, is this the thing? Deep work, rules for focused success in a distracted world. That is absolutely it. And I would highly recommend it. And if you read it, I would love to hear a report back. Uh, earlier, by the way, he said, one problem now is the overwhelming amount of quality stuff. You can go through management style quadrants, servant leadership, deep work. It seems the hard thing is choosing the correct thing to do. I agree. I agree. And I guess it also depends on what is it you're trying to accomplish. If you just want to be a great manager, uh, you know, I think the deep work 
book is good because I think it will give you a framework for just approaching your life and the work that you do, whether it's management work, whether it's writing, whether it's anything. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I don't know that like, you know, you can't, like, I think any of us can just do, live a better life if it's undistracted. There's just so much more as a human being to take in and to experience if we're undistracted or less distracted. So, uh, so yeah, so there's that. Pauline says that lucky for her, uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, has never bothered her. Yeah, you, you're lucky because, um, now, I don't feel like it bothers me either, but when I was in the belly of the beast, when I was big into Twitter and some of these other, even Facebook, I remember I kind of detached myself from that. I still have an account. I never use it. I use it for client work. That's about it. Um, I felt like I was missing out. What if the gang all is going to get together? What if a bunch of people are going to have a beer and I don't know about it? What if there's a party and I don't get invited because I don't have a Twitter account, you know, or sorry, a Facebook account, but all that stuff's gone. So here's what I want to bring up. This, you know, so let me back up a little bit. So the, the journalists, I think, and the news media freaked out about this hack because they were fearful that their source for their livelihood and their platform for molding and shaping thought in the country, in America and other countries, the West, uh, has been compromised. And the reason, like, there have been Twitter hacks before, but the reason I think that this rattled them so much is this wasn't a hack where somebody cracked some passwords. What they did is the hackers convinced, they, they, the, Twitter says, kind of code word, they use social engineering. So, so the thought is that the hackers got into a Twitter Slack account, was chatting one of their employees, an employee that oversees these 130 high-value blue-check uh, accounts of Barack Obama, et cetera, and somehow convinced that person, like they tricked that person, and they, the hackers gained access to a control panel that that engineer at Twitter uses to manage those accounts. Having gained access to that control panel allowed the hackers to take control of those accounts. Now think about that. I mean, you know, we already know that Twitter can ban people, they can mute people, they can, you know, take, deactivate their account. Well, they have these control panels. They've got systems that they can control. And it allowed, once that hacker got, or that group of hackers got control, we don't know if it's an individual or more than one, it allowed them to take over these high value targets. So I think what freaked out the media is this idea that uh, it wasn't just a random hack where somebody stole some passwords or, or used some software to figure out Barack Obama's password. Uh, but um, I think his password is Weather Underground. I could be wrong, but I think it's Weather Underground. <laughs> but but that, that somebody could get into the company on such a level, they could get into the company and wheedle their way in. And of course... You know, the media has been wound up on, on Russia tampering with elections. We know that China's pretty aggressive. I mean, these are real, I, you know, look, I'm not one to say that, that Trump was, uh, was in league with Russia, but let, let's not kid ourselves. Russia, China, North Korea, any host of other countries, friendly, I would even say Israel. I mean, is, you know, they're all wanting to figure out how they can push the scale one way or the other. Why wouldn't they? We do the same thing. We're always trying to figure out how to, how to affect other countries and their elections, and they're trying to figure out how to do ours. So the idea that a company like Twitter could be compromised is scary to them. So here's why I bring all this up. Here's the question. The question is, where do you get your source of information? You know, the, the opening screen here, uh, as you were waiting for the live stream to start, was a picture of Jack Dorsey, one of the founders and the CEO of Twitter. And, you know, we think of these platforms almost as public utilities. 
We think of them as kind of free space that we all own. We think of our content as ours. But behind the scenes, there are algorithms written by people, and the algorithms are slanted one way or the other. There are, there are people like Jack Dorsey with very strong views, strong political views, strong visions for what the future should look like, strong views on, on how you and I should live our lives. And then you have all the actors. When I don't mean actors as in, as in uh, movie actors, I mean actors, people acting on Twitter, the media personalities, the journalists, and the news breakers, the newsmakers, and so on. And everybody's got an agenda. So, so the thing is, if we're all looking to a place like Twitter or like Facebook or even a Flipboard, you know, not to pick on Pauline, I use Flipboard, like I said, all the time. If we're, if we're looking to these platforms for our information, what we're really saying is we're allowing them to be our window on the world. Just like the journalists freak out because Twitter is their main source of information. It's how they do their job now. It's what they look to. It's the standard. And we're also looking to these uh, platforms like Twitter for our information. If we're doing that, we're, we're kind of getting a very specific view of the world that may or may not be true. And I just, I just wondered, like we used to be able to just read a newspaper and then go on with our lives and not think twice about it. But I think, you know, as individuals, that if you want to live life on your own terms, now some people don't care. Some people just want to consume and feel pleasure on one level or another. They want to have a nice beer they want to they go for a, a joyride in the lake. They want to spend an evening with a loved one. They just want things that give them pleasure. And I'm, I'm all for that. I enjoy those kinds of things. But if you want to live life on your own terms, you have to understand the environment that you're in. This goes for entrepreneurs. This goes for politicians. This goes for uh, clergy. This goes for teachers. This goes for medical professionals. If you want to live life on your own terms. This goes for people in the trades. This goes for parents. This goes for children. You have to understand the environment that you're in. And the environment that you and I are in is not a peaceable, amenable environment. Environment. The, the, the interface, the user interface to the environment, I'm kind of taking this as a metaphor now. You know, the, the Twitter user face, face might be pleasant. The colors might be pleasant and the little pictures might be pleasant and it might hook us and give us a little bit of a, of a dopamine hit. But at the end of the day, that, that environment is actually hostile. And I think that's the same about life. We might look around and there might be a lot of pleasant things. Now we can see some unpleasant things lately in our world, but it might be pleasant. The people might have smiles on their faces. The news people might seem very serious, very concerned about you, and, and, very, and the entertainers might be very entertaining and very funny. Uh, you know, I, I'm reminded of, uh, like, The Daily Show. You know, who's the kid, the South African kid? I should know this, having lived in South Africa and being married to a South African. The South African kid who's taken over The Daily Show. You know, he's a funny kid. He's got a funny look on his face. He's easygoing, seems like a nice guy. But that's a facade. I'm not saying that he's not a nice guy in real life, but, like, but he has an agenda. He has something that he cares about. John Oliver is a famous, famous one for agenda. I mean, this guy, he, he's just got a chip on his shoulder. If anything isn't progressive, boy, he just thinks that you're, you're an idiot if you don't think like he does. But it's all wrapped in humor. And I think with, with Twitter, you know, and I think in the world we live in, Trevor Noah. George, you, you get the gold star today, man. Trevor Noah, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I'll just... Uh, George, we're putting you on the payroll. Uh, have your people get in touch. We'll get a wire transfer set up. <laughs> and by the way, I have to follow up from the last podcast. I have not, surprisingly, 
heard from big boy yet. I, I've tried to, I've, I've checked my messages. I've tried to leave the phone line open in case they got in touch, but uh, alas, uh, I have not checked my spam folder and email. I haven't done that in a while. I should probably troll through that. Who knows? Maybe I got a call from the fine people at big boy, uh, but I have not secured that contract as of yet. Day number seven, we should, <laughs> we should have an ongoing count. Day number 732, still no call from big boy. Anyway, uh, you're the Jamie of this podcast. You are, you are. I, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of the old Joe Rogan, although I think Joe's similar age to me. Uh, boy, that guy's fit. Isn't he fit? We're both bald. We're both bald. Uh, and we're both devilishly good looking. But um, yeah, Joe's got bigger biceps and a bigger bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and God bless him. He deserves it. He's worked hard for his success. I really respect what Joe's built. But uh, I, the question for us, I think, is where are we getting our information? Where are we getting our news? And not just news information, but like, how do we learn? How do we build our view of the world around us? And I think it calls into question what we consume. What kinds of information do we consume? Are we postmoderns who believe that there is no truth, that we all make our own truth, that our truth is our perception, your truth is your truth, my truth is mine? Do we, do we all believe that there's necessary truth, that there's absolutely things that are true? You know, for me, uh, my kind of grounding point is the, is the truth of Christ. I've told you guys this before. Uh, like, I like to read scripture. Uh, I've spent a lot of time as a young guy studying that. And um, I try to be sensitive to hearing from God on things. But, but I try to live by principles that I understand to be true based on, on God and his kingdom. So I'm not perfect. And, and even you guys on this podcast can probably point out ways in that I've not been perfect publicly. Uh, and if, if you, know, you knew me in person, you'd be able to point out a lot more. And, and I'm not ashamed of that. I, I'm not proud to be imperfect, but I, I know being imperfect just makes me like everybody else. There's no shame in being imperfect. But, but for all of us, like, for me, that's my grounding. It's not meaning that like, every day I get up and read my Bible because I don't know how to uh, approach the world today. It's more of the, I have a philosophical, metaphysical view. I have a structure, a framework with, within which I'm able to understand the world around me. I, I refuse to let Twitter, I refuse to let CNN, I refuse to let Fox News or even President Trump dictate how I think about things or how I view the world. And my encouragement for you, and I'm sure a lot of you guys do this already, my encouragement for you is to just step back and think about it a little bit. Like where... Where do I get my information from? What things do I take for granted? That's one of the biggest things that happens right now is we, we make a lot of assumptions. We take certain things for granted. We just kind of use this information as a leaping point, but we don't stop and think for a moment and go, okay, well, what, why do I think this? I'm not asking you to rethink your positions on life. I'm not asking you to rethink your positions on religion or politics. I don't mean that, but like as you're consuming stories, as you're consuming information, as we're on these platforms, and it sounds like a lot of us on this podcast, you know, aren't necessarily, but as we're on these platforms and consuming information, media, even entertainment, we have to be kind of thinking and, and mature about understanding that this is coming through a filter. It's, hit a, it's, it's being filtered before we get it. And then we're applying our own filters unthinkingly to it. And you can't escape that. We're all human beings. But I think we just kind of take for granted that this, you know, it's, um, it's on the internet. It must be true. It's on the news media. It must be true. And, and I think this is one of the reasons that kind of Twitterati freaked out about this hack because it, it kind of it calls into question the veracity and, and the, um, the, uh, how much we can trust 
what we see on Twitter. Now, we've all known you can't trust everything on the internet. You get an email, you know you can't necessarily trust it. I'm a Nigerian prince, and my uncle has buried $30 million. He was a military general, uh, but my family was pushed out of you know, power, and if you would help me. I and mean, we know, we get those things, we're like, okay, that's BS. But, um, you know, there are other things that are a little bit more subtle. Other things that are, are designed to optimize us. Things that are, that, that, that are designed to optimize the way that we respond, the way that we react, the way that we think and feel about the information being presented. There's very savvy, look, I mean, scientists are getting better and better and marketers, media, entertainers, and so on, content creators, you know, they're using these tricks more and more. And I think it behooves us, it's kind of like buyer beware. Just be aware, like, where do you get your information from? I think guys and gals that are on this, uh, listening to this podcast that kind of consume my content, not that I'm so great, but I just, I think the people I've noticed that kind of coalesce around some of my content tend to be more independent thinkers and they want to live life on their own terms. And that's one of the big things for this channel. I, I've, you know, discovering the more I do with my YouTube channel, the more I'm doing with uh, this podcast and some of the other content like writing that I'm creating. It's really about how do you live life on your own terms? Now, a lot of that could be entrepreneurship, it could be wealth creation, but it's like, how do you and I live life on our own terms? How do we live as free people in a free world? How do we create value? How do we solve problems? How do we realize and maximize who we are uh, just internally for ourselves, but also externally for the world around us, those that we love, those that we are in community with? And that's, that's what I'm really interested in. And hopefully you guys are as well. So, uh, so that's, that's that. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to end the podcast, but I'm going to continue uh, the live stream for a little bit to do some Q&A and just chat a little bit. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, guys. I'm glad to have you along. This is the Currency Podcast. My name is Mike Gaston. I would be honored if you would subscribe and join this fine community. You can do that in a number of ways. You can go to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe there. I do these live streams uh, regularly, and I also put out the odd video once in a while. Uh, just go to um, Mike Gaston, G-A-S-T-I-N on, on uh, YouTube. You can also find this podcast anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. That would be Apple Podcasts. That would be Spotify. Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and so on. Uh, you can subscribe there. This usually gets loaded up there every Monday. So I'll live stream on Sunday and often it'll go up the next day. Uh, would love to have you as part of the community. Guys, uh, if you want to get in touch, just hit me up at my website. There's a contact form there. And if you want to follow me, I am on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, I'm rarely posting content, but always into, into some conversations. So it would be honored uh, to catch you guys there. Guys, I love you all. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I'll catch you in the next episode.